0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Genesis 21, first book of the Bible. If you ever go to a church and the preacher doesn't know where Genesis is, leave, but it's in the... It's the first book of the Bible. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we just thank you for once again allowing us to serve alongside you as I prayed earlier. It's a privilege, Lord, and for everybody who just pressed through uh, the day despite, um, you know, school and, and all just the busyness, busyness of the day. Uh, Maybe they're a little tired or maybe not feeling totally well, Lord, and they're still here. We thank you for them. Uh, We just pray for each and every person on this campus, or maybe they're watching online, and by the time the service is over, uh, that they would leave better than when they came in. Or in in, in the case of the people who uh, turned on the, the computer to look at us live, that by the time they turn it off, press click and click it off, Lord, that they'll be Uh, better off than when they started, Father. And so I do pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. I also pray for the gift of teaching that you would equip me to rightly divide your word of truth. And from me on to everybody else who's listening, Lord, I just pray for open and receptive hearts to your word and to the work your spirit desires to do in and through us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in tonight's study, uh, we're going to see a promise finally come to pass. And and it came to pass or is going to come to pass after 25 years. And so Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for this promise that we're going to read about to be fulfilled. And as you well know, maybe you've done this in your private reading, or maybe you've been with us throughout the entire study in the book of Genesis, but but you may well know that during their waiting, speaking of Abraham and Sarah, they've experienced some ups and downs. There was some lapse in judgment and perhaps a uh, lapse in faith at times. However, through it all, God has been faithful and he will continue to be faithful. As we look in Genesis 21 and even past Genesis 21 This same God who never changes is faithful today. But in the topic that we're going to look at tonight, it's going to center around freedom. And so that's going to be the main theme of the night, freedom. And so the title of the study in Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21, is Children of Freedom. And so with that being said, let's look at Uh, verse 1 in Genesis 21. It says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he has said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he has spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God has spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Verse 4 then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And now Abram was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. And so once again, God kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah. For they had a son in their old age. Sarah being 90 years old, Abraham being 100 years old. Once again, 25 years after Abraham departed from a place named Haran in Genesis 12. 25 years. But this son that they had together was named Isaac. And so they named him Isaac based on what the Lord had instructed Abraham to do. And Isaac, by way of reminder for some of you, means he laughs. It means he laughs. For Abraham laughed when God told him that he and Sarah were going to have a child in their old age. You see, Abraham's laughter was not a laughter of doubt. It wasn't a laughter of faithlessness. Abraham's laughter was a laughter of surprise and joyful wonder or amazement. But in Genesis chapter 18, verses 12 through 15, Sarah's laugh was more of a, yeah, right. It was, it was more of a lapse of faith. And how, how do we know the difference? Well, well, Abraham wasn't rebuked for his laugh, but Sarah in chapter 18 of Genesis, she was kind of rebuked for her laugh. But here in this study, in Genesis chapter 21, Sarah is experiencing not a laughter of a lapse of faith or of a yeah, right type of laugh, but, but here in Genesis 21, she experience, she's experiencing a laughter of joy. See, after years of waiting, after years of dealing with her decision to give her maidservant Hagar to her husband, after years of seeing Hagar with her son Ishmael live in her house, After years of maybe discouragement, after years of her maybe feeling inadequate because she was barren, she was unable for years to give Abraham a child. So maybe after all those years of inadequacies, those feelings, now she is finally able to laugh with joy. And I just wonder if you have ever been in Sarah's place where you've been... uh, having those feelings of inadequacies or maybe you've had those feelings of discouragement or or maybe there's something that that God seemed to have promised you and and the door seems to have opened and and it keeps shutting and opening and, and you're just confused about the situation but now you've reached a point where you are able to to experience that laughter of joy just like Sarah is experiencing in Genesis 21. Have you ever been in that place? You just laugh with joy, just laugh with, you know, just amazement, just, just gratitude that, that finally you have been vindicated, that finally this promise that, that you sense God has given to you has come to pass. And my prayer is that the Lord would bring that laughter of joy in your life if you have not gotten to that place yet. But if you're still praying, I encourage you to keep praying. Keep praying until God gives you an answer. But but notice also that Sarah said... Not only that God has made me laugh, but she said that, and all who hear, who hear about her story, everybody who hears about her testimony, about how she had to live uh, these past 25 years without giving uh, a child to her husband, not able to be, get pregnant, and how she had gave Hagar, her maidservant, to her husband. And Hagar had a baby, and now she was jealous, and now Hagar is looking down upon her. After all these years, sharing that testimony. Now, she says that all who hears, all who just hears my story, my testimony, they are going to laugh with me. That laugh of joy when they hear about me having this son, Isaac, at the age of 90. And speaking of rejoicing... I would encourage you that if you fill out a prayer request or send a prayer request to the church and we're praying that 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 when the praise report comes and and you know about it, when when, as some people will say, your breakthrough happens or whatever the case may be, please share that with the rest of us, because we would love to rejoice with you as well. Just like those people are going to rejoice with Sarah. See, in verse seven in Genesis 21, it says, as we continue She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have said? Not mankind, not humans. It would seem impossible to them. And so uh, only God could have made this promise and only God could have caused this promise to be fulfilled. And this is because, number one, God is omniscient. God knows all things. And, and secondly, God is also sovereign, which means that he exercises supreme authority. So he's omniscient and he's sovereign. And so he is able to declare to her and to Abraham that they're going to have a child in their old age. And he's also the one who's able to make it happen. Only God could do that, not people. But I ask the question of you as well, because I believe that, that you as believers have maybe come from a place where you were at a disadvantage, or, or maybe you're in a place in your life where you were not living according to the word of God. Or maybe you were just at a point in your life spiritually where you just faced struggle after struggle and you just could not overcome that struggle. And so for you, you can ask that same type of question or at least a similar question. Then the question you could ask is who would have said that you too would be where you are right now, that, that you right now are alive, because uh, there, there's some people in here, maybe some people listening, who maybe when you were growing up with the type of life you've lived, and, and people maybe have doubted, oh, that person, they may not make the age of 30 at the rate they're going. So who would have said that you would be here today at the age of 35, the age of 40 or 50? Only God. God knew that. Or or, or who would have known that your life would have been uh, changed the way it has been? Who would have known that you would be as successful as you are? Who would have known that you would be as spiritually mature as you are? You just... More and more like Christ each and every day, who would have known that? Who would have thought that? Well, well, God knew and God called you, and God is the one who worked it out. Just like in the case of Sarah, as we see in Genesis 21, verse 7. You see in verses 8 through 12, as we continue with the study, it says, So the child grew and was weaned. Speaking of Isaac, in other words, he was old enough to eat food. And Abraham made this great feast, this banquet, on the same day that Isaac was weaned. So no longer being breastfed at this point. And so in verse 9, it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing. So in other words, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, he was scoffing. He was making fun of Isaac. Therefore, verse 10 she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman or slave woman, cast out Hagar and her son Ishmael, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir or co-heir with my son, namely Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight. And so, in other words, Abraham was distressed. He was bothered by what his wife had said. She She wants him to get rid of Hagar, the the mother of his first son, Ishmael. And Ishmael, he's bothered by it. In verse 12, but God said to Abraham, don't let it be displeasing in your sight. Don't don't be distressed or bothered over this, Abraham, because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So at this time, Isaac is probably three years old when he's weaned. And so this would make Abraham 103 years old and Sarah would be 93 years old. And then Ishmael, Hagar's son and Ishmael's oldest son, he would be about 17 years old at this time. And just to do the math, remember he was born when Abraham was 86 years old so you tack on 14 years because he had Isaac when he was 100. So obviously that's 14, 14 years old, then three more years when Isaac is weaned. And so he's about uh, 17. Speaking of Ishmael, you see Sarah, Abraham's wife, she already has had problems with Hagar. She had problems with her in the past, became jealous of her because Hagar was able to get pregnant by her husband. But But the truth of the matter is, it was Sarah's idea to give Hagar to Abraham because it seemed like God was taking too long, at least in her eyes. And she was barren. Hagar got pregnant. Hagar began to look down upon her. So there was that friction there. And now you have this situation where Ishmael is mocking Isaac, a 17-year-old, is mocking this three-year-old who's just been winged, And there's this big celebration for him at this point. Now, this was the last straw for Abraham's wife, Sarah. And so we see in the scriptures that she told Abraham to put them both out. Get rid of Hagar, this bond woman, this slave woman. Get, get rid of her. And Ishmael, see, he was causing problems. And, and she didn't want... Hagar nor Ishmael to think that they were going to have a part in Isaac's inheritance because Isaac is the heir. And so God agreed. God actually agreed with Sarah in regard to having Hagar and Ishmael move on. However, he didn't, God didn't carry the same animosity towards Hagar and Ishmael that, that Sarah had. But nevertheless, he agreed with the idea that that they should go, that they should move on because that would prevent any potential confusion or conflict over the inheritance that was supposed to be passed from Abraham to Isaac. Because Isaac, the Bible tells us, is the son of promise and he is the son of promise because he is the exact son that God had promised to Abraham as well as Sarah. So he's the son of promise. So in other words, the covenant that God had made with Abraham, it will flow through Isaac, not Ishmael. And so God took her side. He took Sarah's side. Don't, don't let it bother you, Abraham. In fact, listen to your wife. And so, and, and so men, those of us we are blessed to be husbands. Of course, we are the, the, the leaders of our homes. The scriptures tell us that. But what we see here in this uh, scripture, in this study, is that it is beneficial to, to also take our wives' thoughts and feelings into consideration before making a decision. And so you may share your ideas, your wife may share her ideas, nothing wrong with taking that to the Lord to see which direction to go. And in this case, Sarah was right according to what God had told to Abraham, this, this man of God who was also called a prophet according to the previous study or studies. In verse 13, Genesis 21, it says, yet, and this is God speaking, I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So this is what the Lord had promised to Abraham previously in Genesis chapter 17, verse 20. That that he would make a nation of Ishmael. And so that's why I said that, that guess God agreed with Sarah that the bondwoman, that Hagar and Ishmael should move on get rid of the confusion. But this is why I said he agreed with that, but not necessarily the, the animosity that Sarah shared. Because here you see that, that God did have a blessing in store for Ishmael. And his descendants, by the way, this is a reminder for some, are, are the Arabic people. So the Arabs will come from Ishmael. And so in this promise that God had made to Abraham in verse 13, here, he actually eased his concerns. He eased Abraham's mind. And God is able to do this for you as well. Because maybe you've been agitated lately about something. Maybe you've been anxious about something. Something is not quite clicking. Something is not falling into place. Something is not working out. But God always comes through right on time. Maybe in your private devotional times, he, he reveals a scripture to you that speaks directly to your situation. And so God is able to ease your mind as well. And so the question I have is, what are you worked up about? What are you distressed about? What are you agitated about? Go to the Lord, cast your cares upon him and allow him to be the one who eases your mind, just like he would go on to ease Abraham's mind as he was concerned about his oldest son, Ishmael. In verses 14 through 16, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, which would be a leather water bottle, and he, and he put it on her shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar, and he sent her away. Then she departed, and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, and Beersheba is an area in the northern part of the Negev, which is the southern part of Canaan, or today Uh, The land is known as Israel. And so they wandered aimlessly. In verse 15, it says, and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs or bushes. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, which was about 100 yards away. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite of him and lifted her voice and wept, or she wept loudly. And so the reaction that Hagar had at this point is a reaction that most normal parents would have. We would weep at the prospect of our child dying. You see, she didn't want to be there to see him die. So, so, so this type of sentiment, these feelings that she's having, this weeping is, is normal. So she didn't want to see her son die. Like I said, that's normal. Yet as we read the scriptures in the New Testament, we see that God the Father, he in turn, he would watch his son die. His only begotten son would die on a cross. In fact, Jesus took the wrath of the Father upon himself because it was wrath against sin. And speaking of the holiness of God, which I mentioned earlier, a holy God is going to judge sin. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, the Bible says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise or crush him. This is a prophecy. He has put him to grief. In other words, he he caused the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, to suffer. It says, when you make his soul or his life an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. A prophecy about Jesus in the crucifixion or him dying on the cross. So in other words, when God the father would make the Messiah, would make the son of God, the eternal son of God who took upon a human body. He made him an offering for sin, a sin offering, taking the penalty of sin upon himself. It says, because he did that, or when he did that, he shall see his seed. In other words, he shall see his spiritual offspring. So if you are a person who repented of your sins, in other words, you have that change of mind, you turn from sins, you put your trust in Jesus for salvation then you are part of that spiritual offspring of Christ through faith in him, through trust in him. And it says, and he shall prolong his days. So in other words, the death of the Messiah is not the end of the Messiah. Because the scripture tells us that on the third day, he was resurrected. And right now he he is at the right hand of the father and he's making intercession for us. And so the death of the Christ would not be the end of him. He lives forevermore. And the pleasure of the Lord, the pleasure of Yahweh, as some would pronounce it, shall prosper in his hand. So in other words, Jesus, the Messiah, would complete the things that God the Father would want him to do. This is a prophecy of Jesus and 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 First John four ten and remember uh, what we're talking about here is the fact that that the Father that God the Father watched His Son die something that Hagar couldn't stand to do and we can't even stand to do that for our children but in First John four ten it says in this is love not that we love God but that He loved us God is the initiator of salvation. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. In other words, he sent the son to be a satisfaction for the wrath of God against sin, which is an offense to him. In verses 17 through 19, we're back in Genesis 21. It says, and God heard the voice of the lad crying. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you? Or what is the matter with you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And so we see here that God heard Ishmael's cry. He heard his cries, it says in verse 17, where it says, God heard the cry of the lad. So God heard Ishmael's cry. And that's very interesting that he heard his cry because Ishmael's name means God will hear. You see, God also, in this case here, he would open up Hagar's eyes to see this well of water. Now, it could be that this well of water was already there. And he gave the, her the ability to see it, to spot it. Or it's possible that he could have miraculously put a well of water there. In either case, God opened up Hagar's eyes to see this well of water. Which would be used, of course, to quench her thirst and her son's thirst and, and to save Ishmael's life. You see, for us today, there's some things that we can't see, that that we don't notice unless the Lord opens our eyes. You see, we need the Lord to open our eyes to the water that is available to us. And so what am I talking about? I'm talking about John chapter 4, verse 10, and also verses 13 through 14. In John 4, 10, it says Jesus answered and said to her, speaking to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Skipping to verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, that is the water from Jacob's well, you'll thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so when Jesus started this conversation with this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, he was talking about, he started by talking about literal stagnant water, water that wasn't moving. It wasn't flowing. It's just stagnant in the well. And so he started out a conversation with her by talking about that water. But then he went from talking about that stagnant, literal water to talking about that living water, this water that is flowing, this water that is moving, it is dynamic, it is the water of life or the the, the life-giving water. And he started talking about the spiritual water, in other words... So from physical water, use that as a springboard to talk about the spiritual living water that he gives. Now here, we're not told uh, what that living water is. Uh, but in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, we see that the Bible mentions that the living water is the Holy Spirit. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives And also the spiritual blessings that come with the Holy Spirit, they satisfy us and they never run out because they spring up into everlasting life. And so what are we talking about here? What we're talking about is that people need to have their eyes open by the Lord to see what they really need in order to quench their thirst. Because people have many thirsts, if you will, in life. For some people, they want to be loved by their mate. They, they, they want companionship. For some, they, they, they want to quench their thirst, maybe through some type of career or job, or maybe by earning another degree. For some other people, they may have aspirations to, to be an actor or an actress, or, or maybe they have this aspiration to be a model or maybe a singer or a dancer. And, and maybe they think that participating in those things will quench their thirst. There's even some people who try to quench their thirst, the true thirst, the spiritual thirst. They they think uh, sex, for example, is going to bring them satisfaction in their lives. But people need to have their eyes open just like Hagar's eyes was open to see that well. People need their eyes open spiritually to see that that living water that, that Jesus gives. And so if there's anyone, and I know most of you, but just in case, my glasses aren't working properly and there's somebody I'm skipping over. But just in case there's somebody who have not yet put their trust in Jesus for salvation, I would say to come to Jesus through faith in order to receive that living water, which is going to satisfy you for eternity. It's never going to run out. In verse 20, it says, so God was with the lad. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and he became an archer. And so God loved, he loved Ishmael. And he, and he did not abandon him, although he was not the child of promise. He didn't abandon him. It just wasn't in his plan for him to be the child of promise to Abraham and Sarah. In verse 21, he dwelt. Speaking of of Isaac, he dwelt, or sorry, of Ishmael, he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, which is a region in the eastern Sinai Peninsula. And Ishmael's mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Why Egypt? Why would she take a wife from Egypt? Well, we need to remember that Hagar was an Egyptian. Therefore, she just found him a wife from her land, from a land that she is familiar with. And so what's interesting about this, this entire section of scripture, this story that, that we've just read, of course, is real. It's not, um, it's not fiction. But what's interesting about this is that there's some type of correlation of, that, of this story and in Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 through 31. Because in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31, the Holy Spirit, through the apostle Paul, symbolically used Hagar, Sarah, Isaac, Ishmael, and their situation in order to teach a spiritual truth. In Galatians 4, verse 21, It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. Speaking of the two women, Hagar and Sarah, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, speaking to Christians, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And so the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, as well as Hagar and Ishmael, they are, this is a historical story story. It's, it's real. It's not fiction. They are real people. They're historical people. But in Galatians chapter four, as we just read, the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul used Hagar, Sarah, Isaac, and Ishmael as symbols. Some would call it an allegory. And so he did this in order to address the fact that there were some Judaizers. In other words, these were some false teachers who were loyal to the Mosaic law. What they had done is is they have crept into the church. And they were teaching that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And so they were trying to put the Christians in bondage to the law. And so this example here... This story here that that we see here, this allegory here, is used to teach against that. And so he also wanted to address the fact that some of the believers in Galatia were tempted to return to a legalistic system. And legalism, by the way, according to one source, it, it exists when people attempt to secure righteousness in God's sight by good works. Legalists believe that they can earn or merit God's approval by performing the requirements of the law. You see, legalism focuses on God's laws more than a relationship with God. That's why you hear us say all the time that Christianity is a relationship. It's about a relationship with God through faith or trust in Jesus Christ. And so there's some things being addressed here. He's addressing those false teachers, those Judaizers, trying to get the believers to be circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you're not saved all the way. And then addressing the fact, as it tells us in Galatians 4.21, you can see that some were tempted to go back under the law. So he addressed it. But let's look at the people and what they symbolize here, according to Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Well, first of all, Hagar, the bondwoman or the slave woman, she represents the old covenant, which includes the law. And so you see um, that she represents the old covenant or whatever that includes the law because it mentions her as Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God gave the law to Moses. But then the scriptures also tell us here in Galatians 4 that she also corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem. And so the earthly Jerusalem was where Judaism was practiced. When they practiced the law, they they, they participated in the sacrificial system which has been fulfilled, of course, by Christ. Of course, Christ didn't do away with the law, but he fulfilled it. He obeyed it perfectly. And then in regard to the ceremonial laws, he fulfilled that because he became the sacrificial lamb. Regarding regard to the priesthood, he is the ultimate priest, as you read Hebrews. There's no other human priest that's needed. It's not necessary. He is our high priest. And so earthly Jerusalem was this capital of religious Judaism. And once again, it corresponds to Hagar. Now, when we look at Sarah, Sarah is the free woman. She represents the new covenant, according to Galatians 4. And and the new covenant, of course, uh, would include grace. When we think about grace, we think of God's unmerited, unearned favor. So it's not something we earn. We just receive it through faith. And so every Christian, every believer, Bible-believing Christian who's ever lived belongs to this new covenant. So in other words, if we go along with this symbolism or allegory, every Christian who's ever lived is a spiritual uh, child of Sarah, the free woman, if you will, because she represents the new covenant here. She also corresponds to not the earthly Jerusalem where Judaism is practiced, but she corresponds to the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above. If you read Revelation chapter 21, you'll see it. You see a description of it, but she corresponds to that. And that heavenly Jerusalem, of course, is eternal. There is no sin there. Sarah, the free woman, also represents the one who was once barren. She was once the one who was unable to have children, as it says in Galatians 4.27. But she now, speaking of Sarah, has numerous children. And that refers to Christians who are saved by grace through faith. And so in Galatians 4.27, the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul Quoted Isaiah 54, verse 1, and applied it to Sarah in the form of symbolism or allegory. But then Ishmael, this other character who's being addressed here in this allegory, he was born of the bondwoman. Ishmael was born to Hagar, in other words. And so Ishmael represents the flesh. He arrived through a fleshly, not Holy Spirit-led decision. So he got there because Sarah told Abraham, "Hey, take my handmaid, take my maiden, take her as your wife, have a child with her, so forth." And so he's a son of the flesh. He represents the flesh. He represents those who are in bondage, who are in slavery to the law or under the Old Testament. And so in Ishmael, if somebody is an Ishmael, so to speak, the religious folks who who do not trust in Jesus, they have not received salvation by grace through faith. They don't depend on the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the Ishmaels would miss out on the promises. So the Ishmaels are trying to work for their salvation. They are the legalists. But then Isaac, he was born of the free woman. He was born of Sarah. And so Isaac represents the promise because he was the promised seed to Abraham and Sarah. And so this promise is something that he doesn't have to work for. Is simply received by grace. And so the Isaacs of the world will be the spirit born believers. The believers will be called, in other words, the children of promise, like Isaac is called. You see, people who rely on the law or people who rely on works in order to earn salvation or in order to try to earn something from God, they are under the curse, the Bible says. Because the law, what it does is, and by the way, the law is spiritual. The law is good because it comes from a holy God, but the law does not have power to transform anybody's life. What the law does is make us aware of our sin and it should point us to a savior, to the only savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we see the law, as we learn about the law, what we should see is, oh, I'm missing this and this and this. Wow, the law is holy, but I haven't kept them all. And so if a person is trying to be saved by keeping the law on their own, according to their own flesh and their own strength, then they're going to have to be perfect, having never, ever sinned. And so they remain under the curse because there's no one has not, who has not sinned, according to Romans three twenty three, And so without putting trust in Jesus for salvation, people are stuck in their sins, which means that, that they are, they're, they're under condemnation, that they're guilty and on their way to hell. You see, people who rely on the law or their own works to earn salvation, they live in the power of their flesh. They will not obtain the promise because they're always gonna fall short They're in bondage, as I mentioned, because once they begin to try to earn salvation by keeping the law, then according to Galatians 5, 3, then they're going to be obligated to keep the whole law. So if these Galatians were to get circumcised in order to finish the salvation process, then they're going to have to make sure they keep on keeping the law and they're going to have to do it perfectly. And so which means that they will be in slavery to sin, And so you don't want to be an Ishmael. You don't want to be a person who relies on yourself to keep the law, to try to earn your way into heaven. See, according to Genesis chapter 21, verse nine, remember uh, Ishmael taunted Isaac. He scoffed at him, made made 17-year-old making fun of this three-year-old who was winged. Now in the same way, If we stick to the allegory in Galatians 4 in the same way, those who are legalistic, those who are legalistic, they persecute the children of promise. In other words, they try to lay heavy burdens on Bible-believing Christians and they try to tell us how unholy we are. Oh, you eat that or, or you don't eat that, then, then you're not as holy as I am. You don't celebrate this day or that day or keep this feast or that feast or, or feast or you don't literally celebrate the Sabbath on the seventh day, then you're not as holy as I am. See, but people who relate to God, and that's the Bible believing Christian, who relate to God on a basis of grace, of grace, and on the basis of trust in Him, we are born by the Spirit of God. We are born by God's intervention, just like Isaac was, child of promise. He was born by God's intervention, by a miracle not by the works of the flesh, not by humans getting together and scheming. You see, John 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But as many as received him, as received Jesus, that is through faith, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, just like Ishmael was, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. And so the true believer is born of God, are born again by the Holy Spirit. And so people who relate to God on the basis of grace and trust in Jesus, we have the eternal dwelling or indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are also heirs of the promises because the the promises are received by grace and not through works. Because again, if they were through works, we would fail every time we will break a law every time because of our sin nature. You see, those of us who relate to God on the basis of grace and trust in him, we belong to the heavenly Jerusalem. And remember that heavenly Jerusalem corresponds to Sarah, the free woman. So we belong to heavenly Jerusalem. Those who relate to God on the basis of grace and trust in him, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. However, Jesus says in John chapter 8, 35, that a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, you are a son of God, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the believer, the person who relies upon the grace of God and trust in Jesus Christ and not based on his own flesh and trying to keep the law and our own strength. We are set free from the power of sin. We are set free from the penalty of sin. In other words, so the law, in other words, does not have the power to do that. It cannot help us to be set free from the penalty of sin. The law shows us how guilty we are. It shows us that we fall way short of God's perfect standard. But those of us who rely on the grace of God upon the Holy Spirit and we trust in him, the one who did the work on the cross, the one who was resurrected. Then we will be set free from that penalty of sin, which is eternal death or separation from God in hell. We are set free from that power of sin. And so as a believer, as a Bible believing believer who has the Holy Spirit indwelling him or her, if you feel like you are being overcome by sin, It is not because you don't have the power to overcome sin. It's because you're not surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 25, it tells us to walk in the Spirit. Because if we walk in the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're not going to fulfill the lust of that sinful nature. And the sin nature within us has this lean or this proclivity to sin. We're not going to give in to it if we're walking in the spirit. You see, as true believers, in other words, as the Isaacs or as the children of freedom, just to go back to the title of the study, I would encourage you tonight to stand firm in the freedom that we have in Christ. You see, Jesus told us just another verse uh, later in John 8, 36, that therefore, if the Son, speaking of Jesus, makes you free you shall be free indeed. And so as believers, as people who've been saved by grace through faith, we should not try to mix the law or practice legalism and grace at the same time. They cannot coexist in the same house. Remember the the, the story where Sarah said, to Abraham, to cast out this bond woman and her son. You see, as Bible-believing Christians who've been saved by grace through faith, we can't practice legalism and still live under grace. Again, we got to cast out the legalism, in other words. We need to cast out the, the, that which puts us under bondage. You see, we're saved by grace through faith, but we also need to continue to live under grace. And as we live by grace or under grace, we we need to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. The freedom that we have from the penalty and the power of sin. As people who should be living by grace or under grace, we should be enjoying the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Those blessings that we don't earn by doing the works of the law, but the blessing, the spiritual blessings that we have by trust in Jesus Christ. And as people who live by grace or under grace, we should also depend on the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit and not try to rely on our own flesh. You see, second Corinthians chapter three, verse 17 tells us, it says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So since Christians, since we are saved, that means that we have the Holy Spirit. That means that the spirit of the Lord is within us. Therefore, there is liberty for us. There, there is liberty spiritually for us because we're saved. We have the Holy Spirit. The Bible, in fact, tells us that if we do not have the the, the Holy Spirit within us, then we do not belong to Him. So the Holy Spirit only indwells believers, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, indwells believers forever. Now, since this is the case, since this is true, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and that is within a a believer, therefore we should live like we're free. We should live like we're free from the power of sin because we are free from the power of sin. We should live like we're free from the power of our spiritual enemy, Satan and his cronies, because we are free from the enemy. We should live like we're free to become all that God wants us to be because we really are free because we have the spirit of the Lord within us. And and if we have them within us, then there is freedom. There is liberty. And And because we have the Spirit of the Lord within us, we are also free to not do any old thing that we want, but we are free to live righteously. That is by God's enabling grace, and that is also by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So enjoy that freedom that you have in Christ. Stand firm in that freedom that you have in Christ. And so if legalism begins to creep up in your life, I would encourage you to do what Abraham and Sarah did and cast out the bondwoman, cast out legalism, but instead live by grace. Amen. Amen. May the worship team come up as we pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are to us. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that uh, the freedom that we have allows us to walk in righteousness. And Lord, you made your Holy Spirit available to us. Help us to tap into to plug into the Holy Spirit and not ignore the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So help us to just surrender, Lord. And whatever we're having a hard time surrendering on our own, I pray, Lord, that you help us to let it go and to allow you to have your way in and through us. And if there's anyone who's not a believer, I pray that you would draw them to your son, Jesus. And Father, if there's anyone who needs prayer tonight, may you stir their hearts to come up for prayer. We thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions,